Good morning. So often in our own judgmental mind, we'll think there's not a lot, and people my age will say it anyway, in their hearts, there's not a lot to learn from a teenager while they're going through their self-absorbed years. Or there's, we may also think in our judgmental heart, after a person is getting closer to their passing to glory as an older person, maybe as they're, they're, they start to regress, there's not a lot to learn from them either. I bet you don't want to admit it, but you've thought things like that. Um, Megan, stand up. Megan Steinke is 15 years old, and uh, I won't make one of you older women stand up. <laughs> That's not fair. But Megan is about the age that most people think that Mary was when the angel visited her. We tend to think of Mary as this like 25-year-old, well-adjusted, college graduate age type girl, right? But uh, Megan's well-adjusted. She's way ahead of her time for 15. But that's, that's Mary that we're going to listen to today. That's how long she's been on planet Earth. 15, 17 years probably max. And Elizabeth is not some 35-year-old that's in the middle of raising a bunch of children. She's never had any children. She's way, it says, well advanced in years. She's way past menopause and it's easy sometimes to see them like they're depicted in this picture as maybe more the middle. And I say all of that only for this reason. God teaches us through the Holy Spirit inside of these two women doing what they do as women of faith. He teaches us some very real and foundational and powerful truth. From these two women. Because they are ageless. They're not young or old as they speak to each other. They are eternal souls that are filled with faith and godliness and the Holy Spirit. It even says so in the text. And so I hope that piques your interest to revisit what's called by so many, especially the Catholic Church for centuries, the visitation. This is the story that's being preached, read, and talked about in churches all over the world on this Sunday before Christmas. The visitation of Mary going to see Cousin Elizabeth. It's only found in the Gospel of Luke. You know, some stories are found in all four Gospels. Some are found in only two or three. This one's only found in the Gospel of Luke. Things prior to the birth of Christ are only found in two Gospels. Matthew and Luke. And you, you must blend them together and harmonize them. In Matthew it says, Mary, Mary was visited and she was told, well, actually in Luke's gospel here in chapter 1, it says Mary was visited and told that she was going to have a, a baby. It says that she was found with child in Matthew chapter 1 and that Joseph was visited by an angel in a dream to convince him that it was, that it was from the Lord and not Mary's sin that she was pregnant. But in Luke's gospel, this story makes the cut. You know, Luke said, I, he, when, and when he opens his gospel, he says, I have researched carefully all the stories about Jesus, and I've written this gospel account so that it would increase your faith, O Theophilus, his friend, lover of God. So this makes the cut. Inspired by the Holy Spirit to draw this story out, Luke says this story goes right here. And 
there's a story about Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, right before Mary's visitation to Elizabeth's home, which is Zechariah's home. And then you see Mary's story. And then Zechariah has his tongue loosed when John is born right after the story. So if you back up and you look at the whole Gospel of Luke and you see this whole chapter, you can see what God is teaching us through Luke as he puts these two people together in contrast. Who are they? I just, two people I'm talking about at first are Zechariah and Mary. Zechariah, old, very well-educated, seminary-trained, long-time priest, pastor, heart guy, does his duty in the temple. Angel appears to him, Gabriel, and says, you and your wife have favor from the Lord and you're going to have the great forerunner to the Christ, which is talked about in the books that Isaiah studied. Isaiah 40, I mean that Zechariah studied. Isaiah 40 and Malachi chapter uh, 3. So he was familiar with him. And what does Zechariah say? How can I be sure of this? Gabriel says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. You're looking at an angel in the temple and I'm telling you God's word. You won't be able to talk until the day that he's born. Not as a punishment as much as a discipline. So there's the guy that's doubting, that's supposed to be teaching others about faith. And then there's this 15-year-old, 17-year-old girl trusting. And when you start into this text with me of the visitation, and you hear this guy's wife, Elizabeth, talking to this girl about faith, some things start to come to relief. And there's one main message I want you to take from the visitation today because I believe it's one of the main messages of the Holy Spirit for all of us. This is how to live a blessed life. I didn't say successful life. I didn't say wealthy life. I didn't say fulfilled life. This is how to live the blessed life. To watch closely because it's one of those things that we struggle in our own heart to every day, some days are harder than others, to be able to say from our heart, not our, just our head, I am living the blessed life. And Mary and Elizabeth will teach us. Let's go to them. Verse 39 of chapter 1 of Luke. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to the town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Now that one verse is about a 90-mile trip. Mary was up in Nazareth, and she came down, probably went around Samaria, right? Made it a little longer trip, probably had a companion or two. Some people think Joseph must have accompanied her and got her there safely, like husbands will do today, ride with their wife and fly home. <laughs> and then he went back home. Because she stays there three months. He, Joseph's not mentioned anywhere in the story. Did he do that? Maybe. Maybe it was traveling companions, other men and women, pilgrims that were going that way. But anyway, she makes the trip all the way down to the hill country, which is south of Jerusalem, the same hill country in which is a little town called Bethlehem. <laughs> Doesn't say she went there. No, nothing in Scripture says Zechariah and Elizabeth lived there. Lots of people believe, if you're a tourist of the Holy Land, that it's a place that's six miles to the west of Bethlehem, 
to a place called Ein Kerem, which means the, 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 the place of the vineyard. And you can go to a church there that's called the Church of the Visitation and do pilgrimages there to lots of people do it. Three million people visit that little town every year. It's got 2,000 residents in it. So Mary goes 90 miles south, and, and wouldn't you maybe do that? Because when the angel appeared to Mary, and she said, how can this be that I'm going to have a baby? And he says, the Holy Spirit's going to uh, overshadow you, and you're going to, the, son, the, the boy born in your womb is going to be called the Son of God because it's, God is going to be the Father. Then he says, don't think that this is all that difficult for God. Your relative who's past the childbearing years, she's pregnant. She's already six months along. The angel told Mary that. So Mary has one person for sure that's close to being in circumstances like hers. Visited by an angel, pregnant in a miraculous way, and filled with Jewish faith and a faith in a coming Savior and believing that her baby is part of salvation history, there's one other person that can relate. Don't you do that sometimes where you go find someone that can relate and someone that will affirm you and strengthen you and build you up and say what God would want them to say, even though you might not even necessarily be ready for it because you recognize God has put them in your life for that kind of strength. That was Mary going to Elizabeth. She wanted to go be with Elizabeth. So as she's arriving, Elizabeth, this, this is the miraculous, God tells, shows, enforces in Elizabeth that Mary is the mother of the Messiah that her son in her womb is the forerunner for. And John the Baptist leaps in Elizabeth's womb for joy. And Elizabeth immediately doesn't let Mary down. She immediately starts affirming Mary's faith. Faith that Mary already had. And this is where we enter the story of the visitation. So let's, let's, let's keep going, okay? Verse, verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting... The baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. I want you to see two things in, Mary, in Elizabeth's words. First of all, that in Luke's words, it says she was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a Luke type of, of writing. Luke wrote Luke and Luke wrote Acts. And whenever someone was about to speak, fill inspired truth, like Peter standing up at Pentecost, Luke will tell you, and Peter stood up filled with the Holy Spirit. This is Luke's way of saying, hello, something, some big inspired truth is about to come out of this person's mouth when he's writing the story. And so-and-so, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, right? So some of the story, still inspired, is just the story of what happened. You know, she went down to the hill country of Judea. 
But then when he says filled with the Holy Spirit, this is the big stuff. So when you listen to Elizabeth, this is how I started today. These two women are teaching you. Elizabeth is teaching Mary, led by the Holy Spirit. But Elizabeth is also teaching Elizabeth. And in turn, she's also teaching us. And many pastors will tell you that when they go to visit and serve, and you've done it as a Christian yourself, you start speaking the words of God or encouragement to somebody, and you go later on you go, that did more for me what came out of my mouth than it did for them, I think, because it was from God, <laughs> right? So listen to Elizabeth teach us. She uses the word blessed three times. Remember the theme today? How to live a blessed life. She uses it three times. She says, Blessed art you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear, and blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. The first two are objective blessed, the last one is subjective blessed. You know what I mean? Whether Mary accepts it or not, she is chosen above all women to be the mother of Jesus Christ, right? Later on, when he was preaching and teaching and healing people, raising the dead, someone goes, blessed is the womb that bore you, right? She is blessed among all women. Blessed is the child, the most greatest blessing of the whole planet, the, the greatest person that served all of us, the savior of the world. All humanity is saved in this child. Both of those are objective truths. But the third one is how to live a blessed life. Remember, this woman filled with the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth, has a husband who doubted the angel Gabriel and got struck with mutinous. This woman is thinking about faith. These women are going through a faith-challenging, faith-enriching, because there's so much at stake. It's either going to go... Or it's going to really take, be catapulted into stronger days. Stronger faith days. And she says, blessed, blessed is she who's believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. If you don't, if you turn off and start thinking about Christmas presents, just, that's fine, but don't forget. This is the middle of the sermon, but this is the main point. How to live the blessed life is to trust the promises of God over all circumstances, always. That's how to live the blessed life. Life goes like this, right? And it feels like when you get close to your passing to heaven, it's like, right? But the believer's life is blessed whether you're in the valley or you're on the mountain peak or at your at death's door because the promises of God. And that's what Elizabeth is saying to Mary. When Mary heard the angel say, you're going to have a baby outside of marriage. She's 15 years old. Did she fathom what that would mean for her in the village of Nazareth? You bet she did. What would it do with her and Joseph? What would it do for her name in the community, right? What would it do for her? It would make life harder. But she believed the promise. She was really 
going to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And she was really going to serve the planet by having the Savior of the world. And so what did she say to the angel? Behold the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. But don't think that it was 100% from that day forward that she always lived by faith. Because people, she's a, she's a real person. She's a real sinner. She really needs her faith to be strengthened and affirmed. Don't think that her trip down to Elizabeth was just for vacation. It was to get that faith strengthened by somebody who would be with her and speak to her. And by God's Holy Spirit filling Elizabeth, he did not let her down. He affirmed her. You're out. You're taking this hiatus from Nazareth. You're coming down here to spend a while. She ends up spending three months. You, young lady, are the mother of God. And God affirmed it. If all those other people right now are saying you must have gone and cheated on your fiance, you didn't. And God, God revealed to me you are part of salvation history and you've believed the promises that this is going to be hard but good. And you're going to bring the Savior into the world. And it's going to cost you. And she says, you know, let it be to me according to your word. Now Mary and Zechariah are in contrast right next to each other in Luke. And Zechariah got struck with what? Mutinous. Until when? Because we're not preaching about Zechariah today, but he's still part of the story. Until right after this, when he names the son John against all the relatives' encouragement, and then what happens? Zechariah breaks into this beautiful song of faith. But don't think Zechariah is like not a Christian. He is a struggling believer. But they both, in contrast, show you that with Mary living by faith in her new man and Zechariah living by doubt in his old man, what you and I look like. Because we, on any given day, it can be one or the other, right? And so there's Mary and Zechariah side by side, and it's Mary living by faith right at the moment, being encouraged by Elizabeth that she's been holding up something that probably no one would really even care to listen to except Elizabeth. Because everyone else would be judging her actions in her life or whatever based on her pregnancy. And she's a 15-year-old who's been meditating on Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel. She is filled with Scripture instead of her own thoughts. Instead of her own circumstances, she's filled with Scripture. And she sings a song that's rooted, as a, for a 15-year-old, this is fascinating. And by the way, just as a compliment, I will tell you that Megan Steinke will fascinate you with how much she, her grasp of Scripture. So it was neat that she was here today, and I could tell her in the hallway, I want to have you stand up. Because Mary is like that. She loves God's Word, and she knows God's Word, and she's clinging to it instead of the latest quote from a sitcom somewhere. And listen to what she says to Elizabeth. And Luke says it's worth recording. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. I'm a little sinner girl and he has been mindful of me. And I just real quickly want to highlight, I'm going to highlight only three things about this song. This is the first one. When she says, my spirit and my soul, that's called parallelism. 
they, the, the, the Hebrew mind organizes life a little different than the English mind. So English people in the Western society will see this and they'll go, I wonder if Mary's saying there's something different between the soul and the spirit. And you, it's, it's kind of funny to watch commentators of a Western mindset try to divide soul and spirit based on what these Hebrews are saying. She's not doing that. She's, the soul and the spirit are the same part of you. It's the immaterial part. Here's what Mary's saying to Elizabeth and to you. I'm really feeling joyful in the Lord in the lot in life that he's given me that I would get to be the mother of the Lord even though I can tell it's going to be hard. From the deepest part of my being I am feeling blessed. I get to be part of salvation history. I am drug into this. I have God's mercy in my life. God is in grace. He's chosen me to know him and be part of his salvation history. I feel blessed. And my, my soul and my spirit is just looking for a, a way to share it. Nobody's forcing me. I'm not doing this just for my head. I'm not going to church because it's good for you. I'm just in love with God. Because I know in favor he's in love with me. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. At the moment in Nazareth, they're not saying that. He says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Here I am 2,000 plus years later, one of millions of preachers talking about Mary. There's churches in her honor. It's even gone way overboard where people are worshiping Mary and saying she's holy and without sin. But the prophecy is true. They're going to call me blessed. I, I know that. But my life on earth... It's not going to feel blessed all the time. You remember when they took baby Jesus to the temple and old man Simeon came up? What did Simeon say to Mary? A sword will pierce through your own soul. And it's starting to un, kind of come into fruition for her that this is, she's going to watch Jesus suffer and die. Her, her, you know, this is the life of Mary. Pregnant at 15 or 16 and um, hard life living hand to mouth all the way. Husband dies kind of untimely in an early part of their married life with their kids. And then oldest son dies at the age of 33. Tortured and a, and, a, and a name that is hated and loved in the community. Let it be to me according to your word. I'm living a blessed life. They will call me blessed for generations. Uh, one commentator said, God brings his saints through many sufferings and he uses that to make them great. Because he draws them near to God, fills them up with his promises and his faith, and then their life becomes as a sacrificial gift in his name, like the Savior's, and then they become great through service, not, not through their own indulgence. I thought that was a fascinating insight. Okay, so now she talks about God in all of history. I am going to move to uh, verse 49. 
From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. What's true for me is true for all people in all generations. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones. He's lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things. And He's sent the rich away empty. Real quickly, this never happens. What she talks about never happens on your and my timetable. But what she's saying as a child of God that yearns for justice on the planet is that the God who's sending the Savior does bring righteousness and justice and goodness and mercy and His timing for all people. And there is a time for every Sodom Hussein to be pulled out of his hole and killed and thrown overboard. And there's a time that God in patience would allow a man like that to do all kinds of things while everybody else cries out, Win God! Win God! Win God! Right? And she says... Praise the name of the Lord because His justice is real, His grace is real, and in His sovereignty, He will decide when, but He'll always bring justice. So she's, she's deeply saying, Messiah is coming, and in the, in the Jewish hope, because she's not knowing what you know about Jesus. She knows some of it. But in the, in the Jewish idea, when Messiah comes, He's going to bring justice to the earth by getting rid of the bad guys, which in their day, the notorious bad guys were the Romans. So she may be thinking about the justice coming from the baby sitting on his throne like John the Baptist would. But she's still speaking the truth. Justice, mercy, sovereignty, God's going to do it for all people. And this little savior inside of me is the one who's going to do it. And I get to be a part of it. And I'm going to sing a song from my heart that I'm gladly a part of that, no matter what it takes. Even if it means my own death to bring him. That's what she's saying. And the third part of her song, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised. Our Israel is the grandchild of Abraham. For the Jewish mind and for the Christian mind that's well studied in the Old Testament, the promises of a Savior start back in Genesis when God first says to Adam and Eve, I'll put an enmity between you and the woman. And then in chapter 12, when he says to Abraham, I'm picking you out of all the nations. I am going to bless your family. Whoever blesses you, I will bless them. Whoever curses them, I will curse them. And he says to Abram, and in your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Then, 25 years, they're already past the childbearing years, which is very similar to Zechariah and Elizabeth. They are past the childbearing years, and they're having to wait and worry and wait and wonder, and they get Hagar involved, remember all of that? And then, God comes to Abraham again, and he says, you're no longer going to be called Abram, you're going to be called Abraham. Because I'm not just going to raise up one nation from you. I'm going to raise up many nations from you. Now, in the context of Genesis, it looks like that's mostly about Ishmael. Because Hagar has just had Ishmael, and he's 13 years old now. And, and, and Abraham had asked, what about Ishmael and his clan? I want you to bless him too. But Paul, the apostle, says in Romans chapter 4, that when God changed the name from Abram to Abraham... 
He was refining the promise of sending a Savior to include all Gentiles who by faith have the same faith as Abraham. And I have to stop right there and say there are more intricacies to that whole thing in Romans 4. You ought to go read it. But this is the point. Mary said, you made promises to Abraham and his descendants forever. And maybe even unwittingly, as she's thinking that God's going to keep his covenant with Israel to send a savior and she gets to be part of it. She's also saying that he's sending a savior for you. Blessed, remember what Elizabeth said? Blessed are you because you believe the promises that were spoken to you. And then this little girl sings all the promises that she can think of. Promise to be just, promise to be righteous, promise to be gracious and merciful, and promise to send Abraham's offspring that would be a blessing for all nations. So how do you live the blessed life? You live like Jesus really came for you. Oh, this is, this is a fascinating comparison. Jesus got his perfection from the Holy Spirit. He was perfect from eternity, but as a man, the Holy Spirit is his father, so he doesn't have the sinful nature of Joseph. He's got the flesh of his mother, but he didn't inherit the sinful nature of his mother. He inherited the righteousness and holiness of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus was born into a family where his mother and father, in a pretty good way, not perfect way, but pretty good way, would reflect the life of a believer. So there's this little 15-year-old girl who's knocking the socks off the 80-year-old priest because she's got it right, and he can't get it right no matter how great a theologian he is. At, at ground level, he doesn't trust, but she does. And she's the woman that taught baby Jesus as he, the mystery is that the Christ who is perfect had to learn. It's all over the New Testament, he learned obedience. He grew in wisdom and stature. How could the perfect son of God grow? And That's the mystery of the Christ. But the father in heaven picked Mary, who on the day the angel visited her, what attitude did she reflect? Hold the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. My life is a gift of service. And I know it means that it's going to be hard. I know it means it might be short or death, but... I'm the Lord's servant. I love you, God. You are blessing me. For generations, they'll call me blessed, but even though right now it may not feel that way. I'm going to live by faith, not by sight. And Elizabeth comes in and goes, blessed is her who lives by the promises of God, not by her experience. And now you're starting to see in Gethsemane, when the father was listening and the mother was out of the picture. And Jesus is praying. What does Jesus say? If there's any way that this could pass from me without me drinking the cup of death and torture, let it be. But not my will, but thine be done. It says in Hebrews, he learned obedience and suffering. And with loud cries, he cried out in Gethsemane, 
for relief to the only one who could, could give him justice. And yet he learned to obey to the end. And Mama Mary was part of that learning by teaching him what a life of faith is like. Not perfectly was she, but very well. And our Lord never sinned. Now Mary did later doubt. There's some examples, right? Why did you do this to me? We were looking for you for three days, right? <laughs> but not Jesus. And that's your salvation. That's the promises that she was talking about. That the one in her womb would, would be perfect and would be the perfect sacrifice and would save all of us. And so the promises of God is that we are safe. The word saved means safe and saved and rescued. We are safe in God's love and we are rescued. Now, one period in Martin Luther's life, he, he was prone to depression. He went through terrible depression and, and, is, and, and he locked himself in his study for like three days, not even coming out to eat, drink, or go to the restroom. And his, his wife, Katie, is like trying to, worried about him and trying to reach him. And so when he finally lets her in, opens the door, she's dressed in a funeral garb in black and has the hat on and the veil, the black veil and everything. He goes, what are you doing? She goes, I'm assuming God died by the way you're acting. Based on our circumstances, do we act like God has died? Are we living the blessed life? Is the blessed life based upon sight or by faith and promises? It's faith and promises of God, right? And one of the marks of the blessed life is submission to the roles in life that God has called us to and the, the things in life he wants us to believe and do even when they're challenging or hard, like Mary, like Jesus, and to say, I'm blessed, but I may be sad. I may be hurting. I may be troubled, but I'm blessed. John, uh, John Wesley uh, wrote a covenant prayer about living the blessed life like Mary and Jesus, and I, I want to share it with you. Pretty popular in some Christian circles because he's not of the Lutheran tradition we don't often quote from people like John and Charles Wesley. But I think in this way, because of what Mary says and what Zechariah doesn't say, this is a good way to end. His covenant prayer. I am no longer my own, Lord, but I am yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whomever you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Let me be exalted for you or let me be brought low for you. Let me be full or let me be empty. Let me have all things or let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So let it be. And the covenant which I am making by these words on earth, let them be ratified in heaven. I'm sold out, is what he's saying. I believe your promises. I believe I'm forgiven and saved. But I believe I'm left on planet earth to glorify you. Remember what Mary said? My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit honors God, my Savior. He has done great things for me. He's redeemed me. 
is God dead? No. He's alive. And at Easter, we say, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's be happy and blessed. Amen. So, these girls have a wonderful preparation and they're musicians of Mary's Magnificat, sung to us in our own modern poems. So, as the musicians come up, turn to that. You'll see it also on the on the screen, but it'll be it's printed out for you in the folder. And just think of Mary and what you heard and think of yourself as you listen to this. My soul Oh. 